You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we're going to be uh, looking at uh, the books of wisdom through the section of the poetry scriptures uh, today uh, here at City Lights. And um, what I'd love to get started with is go ahead and turn to somebody next to you and share with them somebody that you know in your life that you feel is wise. Uh, turn to somebody to your left, your right, somebody you came with, who is wise and, uh, and what makes them wise? All right. Well, uh, I'm Oliver. I'm the pastor here. If you're new and welcome, thank you so much for being here. Uh, We're in the middle of a series, if you're just joining us, called Read Scripture, Joining the Story That Points to Jesus. Uh, The Scripture, um, the Scripture, 2 Timothy 3 says, has come to us to make us wise in Jesus. It is not like the Wall Street Journal because it has power and authority and the Spirit has come to to move in and on our behalf to transform us into the wisdom of Jesus. Um, it is not a golden manual that uh, just fell out of the sky. There are uh, many authors that are given to it, and, um, and I think that that's what makes it so divine, what makes it so powerful, is that it's many uh, witnesses and audiences of different genders and backgrounds that all testify to one thing. This world is about Jesus. Your life is about Jesus. Your heart is beating because of Jesus. Whether you know it or not, he has come to redeem and to save. And, and so these scriptures are, uh, as we've talked about um, they are a library of writings uh, that are both human and divine, and uh, they have come to us to do one thing, to tell a unified story that points to Jesus. And so um, in these scriptures uh, is a task for us, before us. Um, Jesus, the cross, the resurrection is enough to save us, but the scriptures have come to change us, to make us wise. They are the words of Jesus, and they are the only things that can set us free And so our respect, our reverence, our fear for the Lord is to read the scriptures as they've come to us as a divine writing that has come to transform us, uh, not to just entertain us or make us feel good, but to change us. And we should come to it not as scholars, but as as servants and as sons and to be be wrecked by these scriptures in the best of ways. And so we want to observe the scriptures because they uh, they are both... Um, they, are, they are libraries, so we have to observe, okay, what kind of category of genre is this? We want to interpret the scriptures. You know, why is this what it is? I mean, we don't want to imagine what the scriptures ought to be or what we think they should be. We should let them speak for themselves and let them change us rather than we change the words. And so, interpreting the scriptures for 2020. And then, they are not to just look in the mirror and leave unchanged, but to be changed by them. What is the application, the take-home? Of the scriptures, and so what we've done in the last couple of weeks, you go back on YouTube and check this out. But we've taken six segments of scripture. We began with the law. If you guys were here, everybody say law. That was the story of the covenant. The theme was covenant. Then we moved on to David's throne, and that and that was uh, the history books. Everybody say history, history, and that was the theme of, of kingdom. And today, today we are going to be studying, and uh, and I want you guys to have your phones ready. This is the only time we'll be having our phones in church. We struggle with the uh, pro presenter today. Everybody say poetry. We're going to be uh, ranging from Job to Song of Songs. Um, The poetry books are an extraction from the rest of the story. They're part of the story, but they pull back from the story to speak to you and I about the day-to-day of life. What do you do when it's not the day to speak in tongues or the Pentecost day or the healing day or the big covenant day? I mean, what do you do in the mundane parts of life? You know, the waking up and the boring and the getting your kids ready for school and most of what happens in the day-to-day life, you know, between the pages of Scripture. What do you do with the day-to-day life, living in the covenant, expecting the kingdom. And what the scriptures would tell us is we should, we should pursue, in each days of our lives, uh, wisdom. The Bible calls wisdom the fear of the Lord. Anyone that's not fearing the Lord is not headed towards wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And so this, this section of books, this series of books, five of them, and they're called the poetic section, three of them are are wisdom books, and the other two are songs. And these books, um, they come to us through the relationship of our, of our patriarchs. 
Like most of the Bible is written about people talking to God and sometimes God speaking through people. But this is a section that is almost unilaterally given to people speaking to each other. And if you had a good mom and a good dad, you know they're not perfect, but they're trying to save you pain because life is only understood backwards. And so to meet meaning of pain, our elders come before us, please don't make the mistakes I made. And the problem with fools is fools don't know they're foolish and they're building sandcastles and they're asking the wrong questions. And that's when our elders sit us down and say, you're asking the wrong questions. How's your wife? How's your kids? How's your soul? We want to know how to make a million bucks in five years. But if you have somebody that's wise, they're telling you, fear God. At the end of the day, it's only about fearing God. The only wisdom there is, is to fear God. Uh, somebody's timer's gone off. There's a cooking. Uh, somebody get the apple pie out of the, the oven. <laughs> My dad is 70. He called me eight times to go on this vacation this last week. I said, I could not tell you how busy I am and how unaffording I can be of this vacation. And my wife said, you remember that song by Cat Stevens, The Cats in the Cradle and the Silver Spoon and Little Boy Jimmy and Go Visit Your Dad? <laughs> All right, Dad. So we go down there. Key West, man. And Key West is like uh, Asheville, just hippies drinking beer. But every day it turns into Manhattan because the cruise ships drop them all off. Thousands of them. They're all just drinking in. Uh, they're not drinking now. They're at home. I'll tell you that much. COVID has really done a number on the tourist business. So it's me and my dad uh, just being old out there. Um, he's 70, I'm 40, like, there's lots of indigestion, we're asleep every night at 8, uh, we're just excited about deals at Publix, like, it's just, our knees hurt, you know, like, this is a vacation. I told myself, you know, in the midlife crisis, like, just do it, man, Nike had it right, just, just do it, stop saying no and just do it. So we go out there on the canoe and it's too windy, they won't let you out there, so it's like, uh, I'm talking to this lady, I'm like, no, there's adventure to be had and I will be having it, ma'am, tell me what there is to do. And the lady said, go get you a net and a tickle stick and go get some lobsters. And I said, that's exactly what the Lord was telling me. We're going to go get some lobster. So I jump in the, uh, in the tank there. I got my goggles, uh, some compression uh, pants from TJ Maxx, and pretend like I'm scuba diving. And next thing I know, I'm face-to-face -face with a lobster, and I'm having the time of my life. And guys, a lobster at Red Lobster is worth $20, and the one that I ate was for free, and it was worth $50 at least. And it was awesome. Uh, I, uh, I prayed with this guy named Troy. Troy was our neighbor. He helped me hook everything up. And he said, thank you, Lord, for the bounty of the sea. And I said, amen, all that have faith. And so anyways, we put, we put the lobster in some tinfoil, some garlic, and some butter. We got that thing cooking, and it was a fantastic time with Cam, is the, song that I would, the country song I'd write about that. The waves in the sun can teach you wisdom more than books can. Um, your head can be smart. Your heart can be dumb. And the waves in the sun can get you back to what it means to be a human being and not a doing. Just a, a little worker bee, a church mouse. It can remind you you're small, God is big. It can remind you your problems aren't as big as you think that you are, that time goes fast. It can make you wise. Because wisdom, wisdom is not about head getting smarter. Wisdom is about heart getting stronger. That's what wisdom is. I'll speak to the men in the room. Uh, we live in the West, in, in America, and, um, and so we subscribe to something called stoicism. Stoicism means your highs aren't too high and your lows aren't too low. And John Wayne tells you that wisdom looks like being tough. But Jesus knew how to cry. And Jesus knew how to, knew how to, to speak to waves. Jesus knew how to, how to sleep in storms. And when we subscribe to the world's version of wisdom, which is Gandalf stroking his beard, rather than Jesus' version of wisdom, which is standing up to Pharisees, bringing the kingdom of heaven right where he is, and uh, loving everybody that's right in front of him, we've got two different categories. And I just want to speak to, to the men in the room and the women in the room. Like, like wisdom is crying more. Wisdom is laughing more. And wisdom is being fully present. And uh, if that's all I had to say from those five days, that's what I have to say. Amen. Um, so, so wisdom is, 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 is catching us off guard because we're looking for wisdom in the wrong categories. Uh, 1 Kings 3 says this. Solomon prays to God. The king went to Gilboan, Gilbean, Gilbean, to offer sacrifices, uh, for that was the most important high place, and Solomon offered thousands of burnt offerings on the altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask for whatever you want, and I will give it to you. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You've continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now the Lord God, you have made your servant a king in place of my father David, but I'm only a child and do not have anything to, I do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people. You have chosen a great people, too numerous to count in number. So give your servant wisdom to govern your people and distinguish between good and evil, right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord has pleased that, was pleased that Solomon had asked this. 
So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for death of your enemies, but wisdom in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so there will never have uh, been anyone like you, nor will uh, there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for as well, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you long life. Then Solomon awoke and he realized it had been a dream. Uh, It's an important passage. Solomon um, shows us, well, two things. One is that James tells you that um, you can ask for wisdom and God gives it to you like a gift. You can't go and just get it on your own. And two, that, um, and this is probably what's maybe most important as we get into a passage or a topic like this, a big point and then three smaller points, is that God wants you to be wise. So uh, the misinterpretation is that the woman took the fruit and saw that it was good for wisdom, and we create this false category that wisdom is evil. Wisdom is not evil. Wisdom in our human eyes is evil. It was designed from the beginning that men and women were to rule, and how could you rule unless you knew what was good and evil? So the interpretation of, well, God just wanted them to be robots and just do what he said, you know, um, you know directly without having sort of independent capacity of knowing good and evil is, is a misconception. Uh, the, the choice to take uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was to take wisdom rather than being it taught to them by God. So, so that's, that's critically important. That's critically important. Um, the, 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 the Proverbs say that, that, that wisdom, that fearing God is wisdom. It says that Jesus grew in stature and wisdom and grace with God and man. Uh, it says that Proverbs, you know, that we should grow in, in fear of the Lord for wisdom. And so what, what can happen is, is if we take that thing too far, um, it is, is we create this false dichotomy of either God or science or God before science. All science and knowledge is God's. So what the problem is, is that um, when people, um, when, when, when people uh, only believe that, that uh, divine wisdom uh, is at the exclusion of knowledge, then what we define the category is, is that wisdom uh, becomes ignorant within the church. And so I say, well, I just need God. I don't need to know about developmental psychology for my kids. I don't need to know about history. I don't need to know about science. I just need to read the Bible. Well, now you're actually fearing knowledge more than you're fearing God. Because Jimmy's going to go to college and you're afraid that that knowledge is the thing that has authority to steer them off the fear of the Lord. But the reality is is that I know plenty of people that have PhDs that have more fear in the Lord after their PhD than before it. And I know arrogant people that read three blogs and come out proud from it. So the problem is not wisdom. It's the problem of human wisdom. It's wisdom without fear of the Lord. We were created to rule to govern, to uh, participate in politics, to teach, to understand, to, to, to have knowledge that wouldn't puff us up but would rather build us up because we were rooted in the fear of the Lord. Does that make sense? Is that tracking? And so, um, so this would be our prayer. Lord, teach me to fear you so knowledge couldn't kill me. Make me ready so that when I move into knowledge, I won't become puffed up and thinking I don't need God and therefore take from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But rather, root me in fear so that I can have knowledge and rule well. This is the essence of Solomon's prayer. Rule number one is God wants you to be wise. His wisdom. It's it's being taught wisdom by him through the divine uh, framework of what this whole cathedral of this world is all about. Being taught wisdom by him rather than taking it into our own hands. So there's three applications to this. One is that um, wisdom, all wisdom, ultimately comes from God. And so you think to yourself, like, oh, man, really? Like, is, is that true? Like, is, is it just that when I am a Christian, I go to sleep, and God, like, waves, like, pixie dust over our little heads and makes, makes us wise just because by virtue of fearing God? And what the passage says is that actually fearing God is the beginning of wisdom. It's the foundation of wisdom. And the person that really does fear God is actually... Um, only headed towards wisdom. So I want you to think about little, little Jimmy when he goes to college. He fears God. Well, what does that mean? He knows that he is a, a person made in his image, living in a space with only image bearers. He knows that the kingdom is coming and has the final word, and only Jesus has authority that every knee will bow. He knows that sin uh, is, is, uh, has come to lie, kill, steal, and destroy, but Jesus has come to ransom and give life and life abundant. This is the kind of thing that little Jimmy's going into. And so if a person truly loves God, they are loving their neighbor. 
it is impossible to love God and not love your neighbor. First John tells you that if you don't love your brother that you can see, how could you love your father you can't see? So little Jimmy is going to, if little Jimmy loves God, is going to love their neighbor like no one has loved. Anyone who has seen God becomes like him and eventually perpetuates God's kingdom. And he is loving people as God has loved him. That's the essence of the fear of the Lord, loving God and loving people. And so here's the thing is that um, little Jimmy is going to become wise because uh, he wants to love people. He's not arrogant. He's learning from people. He's learning how to have conversations, how to have conflict, how to do teamwork. He's growing wise. You see that? You see how the love of the Lord, wisdom is attracted to the love of the Lord. Because if your heart is to serve, to submit, and encourage, you will find yourself with wise people. And if, you're, if your desire is to grow up to the stature of Jesus, you will become a student and the whole entire world will become your classroom. And little Jimmy, while other people are, are, are going after sand castles and money, little Jimmy is growing in the fear of the Lord's wisdom. Not only that, little Jimmy will find his purpose in his people. Because everybody knows that somebody that is, that is desperately trying to help other people will find themselves a job very quickly. If you're an employer and you have somebody that is interested in serving people that's not about them, they want to help other people, they want to make things better, it's not about their ego or about being up front or getting credit, it's only a matter of time till little Jimmy where character turns into competency. Let me tell you, every issue that we have with competency ultimately comes back to character because we don't want to learn. We don't want to have, be successful. We don't want to thrive. We want to make excuses, right? And so every person that doesn't work well for others ultimately foundationally just doesn't love people. They're not showing up on time because they don't love people. They're not learning because they don't love people. They don't want to speak better because they don't love people. They don't want to learn how to communicate because they don't love people. You see where it's the foundation of really loving the Lord and fearing the Lord will become wisdom. And money's attracted to that kind of stuff. And resources are nothing to a person like that. But if you were to love God and love money instead of God and you thought that the world ran on mammon, it'd be a different scenario, wouldn't it? You would move to foolishness quickly. Because everybody knows it's not really about hard work. If you're just lucky enough, the people that have the money make the rules and then they follow their own rules. And so you don't have to learn how to work hard. You just have to like, you know, be lucky and jealous of other people and you just sort of like, you know, pretend like you're rich enough and then success comes to you. So money controls work then. Well, then once you have a job, then you can really have power and you can tell people what to do and they can come into your kingdom and you can then have relationships and then you've created God in your own image and you've become a fool. So he says there's really only two, two choices, to plant your house on a rock or house on the sand. And if you fear God with all of your heart, you are becoming wise, period. If you're not wise, it's telling you you don't know God. This is, this is the perpetuation. It's not pixie dust. It is a heart dedicated to a long path a hard road of obedience in one singular direction. The one that loves God will love people. And the one that loves people will have no problem finding mission and purpose. And the one that has mission and purpose and is dying to that purpose daily will find the resources they need to fulfill it because this is the grain of the universe. This is how wisdom works. It doesn't work all the time, and there are definitely sad cases, and that's what Ecclesiastes is about. But this is the, this is the sense of what this whole book is teaching us to do. So there's five different uh, books in, in the poetry section it's people talking to people, the olds talking backwards to the young and pleading with them. Uh, fools, don't, fools building sandcastles never know they're building sandcastles until it's too late. All right? that's, that's the idea. And so there's five different books of songs and poetry. And this is the way that God has come to us in wisdom. And he catches us. He catches us being foolish. This is, this, this is, this is what happens. When you go to go see a mentor, you just want, the, want them to give you advice. You want to tell them yes or no. You want them to tell you always never. But there aren't always, always nevers, are there? There aren't yes and no's. Wisdom is a person, isn't it? Wisdom, wisdom, this is, why, this is why you sit down with that mentor and they're six foot six and they got a bow chest and they can't see their shoes and you're asking them advice about how to talk to women and they start talking and you're like, that does not work for me, brother. Like, I do not look like you. You smell like, uh, like a Calvin Klein cologne like magazine and I don't have your life because wisdom can give you ad, ad, advice but it can't give you answers. You have to fear the Lord and go get the answer yourself, right? You go down to the motel and you go and serve people that are poor. Your wisdom means nothing to them. Your experience of being a middle-class, you know, college-educated person, it means nothing to them, right? Because wisdom can give advice. It can give you pictures and vision, but it can't ultimately tell you what to do because that is the responsibility of the individual to, to seek God on their own. Nobody can circumvent that process to you. So, so you've got these things. And ultimately, these, these passages are catching us because we're going to come into it and say, how can you make me healthy, wealthy, and wise? And what the passages are actually going to tell you is, you're coming here for control, but I'm going to teach you, but you don't have any control. This is what the fear of the Lord looks like. The wisdom books has come to visit us. We come for wisdom. And the most popular podcasts are the ones that start with how. How to have a great marriage, how to get a good job, how to do something in 90 days. He didn't come to tell you how because you don't have control. He's coming to tell you who. 
That's the only wisdom there is. Wisdom is a person, not a paradigm. And it can't just come in a fortune cookie. So it's, it's years of meditation and transformation. It's not taming the heart, it's transforming the heart through transformation. So we start with a guy like Job. And the key theme for Job is why. Why pain? Isn't that great that you come and you want to have a healthy, wealthy, good life? And he says, let me tell you about pain. You know anybody that has lost their spouse? You know anybody that has cancer? Anybody that has lost several children? That's what experience is like. Like, we have divine breath in us and the Holy Spirit lives in us, but we're dust. So he gives you this, this philosophical, this guy out in ooze, he's not even in Israel, and it gives you this, like, juxtaposition. God's in heaven, controls all the sands of time and humanity. He's speaking to his counsel, and even Satan submits to him, asks some questions. And they start talking about this guy, Job, and he says he's upright and righteous and perfect. And so you have this hierarchical, archetypal limit, this contrast that shows up. And they have this meeting about Job. You know, Job only follows you, Lord, because his life is successful. And so his wisdom is really only based on money. It's not based on fear. So why don't I test him? And God says, as you wish, you can, you can test Job. And so uh, the course of the next couple of, of days, Job loses everything. He loses his family, loses his health. He loses his money, his job. He loses it all. All he has left is God. And for, for pages and pages and pages, he's talking to his friends and trying to figure out why does his life fell apart and trying to find order in this chaos. And his friends are giving him all kinds of bad advice. And they're basically summed up in this. Either pain happens in this world because God is not good, or pain happens because of sin. Everybody gets what they deserve, that it's run on justice, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's all karma. So you're getting what you deserve. And, and so it's, it's basically on, on actions and effect. And, and so it goes back and forth in the cycles of three, and these people talk back and back and forth, and they are challenging the limit. Why do bad things happen to good people? Either because God is not good, or because people are not good. But we know that both of those are false. Jesus says to the people that are watching him, they ask, why is this guy blind? And they say, well, it's not because of the father's sin. It's not because of the guy. It's so that God's wisdom and, and, and glory would be revealed. And so we go on and on and on. And finally, God, finally, Job asks God, why? Point blank. Why? Why the suffering? Why the pain? And God, of course, doesn't answer him, does he? He takes him on a little uh, tour of uh, the universe. He says, Job, did you hang these stars up here? Did you uh, put these, the, the, the water in this ocean and put those lobsters down there with the tickle stick and the net? Did you, did you put the horse where it's supposed to go? Did you, did you set all this up, Job? Where were you when this happened? Job says, I, I've got no answer for you. And he says, now you know the wisdom of God. Wisdom of God is that God is big and you're small. And you don't have all the answers. And that's a good thing. When your God is small, your problems are big. And you've got to solve them all. And you're responsible for it. You better fight like, like, like heck to, to, to go and solve your problems. Because you're the one that got, them, got yourself in there, and you're the one that's got to get them out. Because you're God. And you know, God, he's like a little Jiminy Cricket. He just sits on your shoulder, tells you left or right, and I just hope that little Jimmy does okay. And he's, he's just tiny, and you're just the only one that matters. And then he takes you out in the stars. I want to I tell you something. If you want to grow in wisdom today, and that's your prayer like Solomon... Go out tonight and just go look at the stars for 30 minutes and get some wisdom. He is so big. And he is so good. And he is so faithful. And you're starting with wisdom right there. That's where wisdom starts. That's where, that's where joy starts. That's where happiness starts. That's where your kid's um, uh, generosity begins. It starts there. That's where wisdom starts. It's not in a book and not in a podcast. That's where wisdom is. He's big, you're small. We move on to Psalms. And the key question for Psalms is who? Whom? That's probably what the English teacher will tell you. Didn't look on the whiteboard very good. But it's whom? Who are we trusting? Who are we putting our trust? I want you to uh, tell your neighbor. I want you to complete this sentence. You ready? Tell your neighbor. Complete the sentence. In West Philadelphia, born and raised. Chilling out, maxing, relaxing, all cooling in. Bye-bye, Miss American Pie. Something like that. Yesterday, all my troubles seemed so far away. I don't remember that one either, yeah. We don't remember sermons, we remember songs. You're going to remember what Timothy, you're going to remember he sang the Aaron Keyes song today. What the enemy meant for evil. What the enemy meant for evil. What? God gave us songs because songs go to the heart. And that's where memories are really stored. That's where memories are stored. We're not memorizing for sword drills. We're memorizing for the heart. That the caverns of our unruly, confusing heart would find straight paths on his wisdom alone. And we would memorize scripture. And so the Psalms, the Psalms are there to memorize. And he, 
in his wisdom, in the first two Psalms, categorizes all of the themes that we've already just looked at. I mean, I've been talking up here for three days now, Sundays, talking about this. The two themes of the first two sections of the scripture, the prophet, or excuse me, the, the, the Torah and the history are covenant and kingdom. The first is the story of Moses, that uh, he has came to give us a law. We were unfaithful to the law, and so he's coming with a covenant that will be written on our hearts. We'll have a circumcised heart, is the promise, and that we will be changed from the inside out. We didn't need more rules. We need a transformed heart. And so Psalm 1 teaches children, six-year-olds, to sing about a changed heart. And it tells you words specifically, specific words and semantics that help you remember. And Psalm 2, and I'm going to read these in a second. And Psalm 2 focuses on the second half. I mean, just pages and pages of Scripture that are all put into simple, um, digestible songs that children could remember, and that maybe we would remember if we were wise, to remember the fallen kings, you know, all of the the pagan Nebuchadnezzars and all of the fallen Sauls and, and Davids and Solomons and all the kings that were upside down and empty thrones for Jesus to come and sit on, that Jesus, in that context, promised a covenant of an everlasting kingdom that would be for the nations and not just Israel. And so these are the, 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 the words of this psalm. And I want you to take out your phone. I want you to go to Psalm 1. And we're going to read it together. And, um, and we, I want to suggest to you even, as we talk about how to read Scripture, Scripture is to be meditated on and memorized and given meaning and read differently from 20 to 55. And it's meant to be read aloud. And I want to encourage you, if you ever get stuck in Scripture, I want you to read it twice tomorrow morning. And I want you to read it aloud and mutter it under your breath. There is something... And inherently, like, spirit-filled as for what we're about to do, it's, I think it's sanctioned and authorized that when we read Scripture aloud, there's something that changes, even in us emotionally. Under your breath, read along with me in the NIV Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the ways that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. The person is like a tree planted, by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. What is the heart that's changed, not just tamed? It's the one that meditates on his law. What does that mean, the 613? No, the entire Pentateuch, the story of Adam and Eve, the fall, the serpent, Noah, uh, Enoch, um, um, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, the Ten Commandments. It's the entire story. It's the, it's the worldview. It's the understanding of what this whole thing is about. It's the fear of the Lord that they're meditating on. And in that, children would learn to trust that although I have broken the covenant, he will come to fulfill it. Although I cannot follow the law, he has fulfilled the law in me. What, what um, the law could not do in me, he has done for me and on my behalf. And so this is what it's saying, is that as we meditate on his law day and night, as we, as we look forward to the Torah that, that we broke externally, he would come and, and make it, meditate it, and change us from the inside out and put it on our heart. And this is what Psalm 1 is about. Psalm 2, let's read it together. It says this, why? Why does the nations conspire? Why does Rome and, 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 and America and China and Japan and all the nations who were made to image God and reflect God take God's authority and use it for their own power? Why do they do this? Why do they continue to fail and continue to put election cycles and hope in other kings as though other kings can come and save? Why do they do that? Why do the nations conspire? Why do they plot in vain, says the psalmist? The kings of the earth rise up and rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. They make empty promises, but yet they just tax and tax and tax and bring wealth for themselves, and they never bring any benefit or blessing to the people because it's the king. The king himself is broken and is not able to fulfill the throne of Christ. But the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger. He terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. If anybody were to forget in the period of exile or in the period of Babylonian captivity or after exile, that the psalm psalm readers of the day, that the little children that would bind them on their foreheads and remember this day and night would remember that we have a, 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 a king that's coming to bring us a new covenant to change us from the inside out and a king that has come to make an everlasting kingdom here on this earth that all wrongs would be made right and all injustice is made just and all crooked paths made straight forever and ever until eternity. This is the promise that these people were given. And so the, the promise of this dust that is occupied by divine spirit remembers that we are dust, remembers that we are small, remembers that he is big and he has not come to leave us alone, but he has come to pursue us and establish his kingdom here on earth forever and ever, that we would remember that and meditate on that. The Proverbs come to teach us what the good life would look like if we were to follow the grains of 
the creation that if we were to love God before we love people and love people before we loved work and love work before we love money, that we would be abiding in the grains of the universe, that we would be abiding in the unforced rhythms of grace. And the good life looks like this for the most part, not all the time, but mostly. Uh, sometimes um, the chaotic waters uh, you know, pile up and sometimes bad things do happen to good people and sometimes life does not work out and sometimes the unjust get rewarded and the just do not get rewarded. And so um, the last thing we'd want to do is uh, put our feet on the rock and then start thinking it's sand because our circumstances change. But even when our circumstances are taken away, we'd go back to the Job place. He's big, I'm small. He's God, I'm not. And that's where wisdom would begin. But out of that, a lot of times, righteousness will bring um, flourishing. It'll bring health. And we are meant to look at fruit on our tree and ask ourselves about the roots. If there isn't fruit on the tree, and it's not just five minutes, but five years and 10 years and 50 years, I mean, there's something about getting stuck. There's something about like a pig returning to vomit. And you can think of people in your life, right, where they may be wise in finances or wise in friendship. But in this other area of life, they're fools. And the proverb says that the fool is like the pig who returns to vomit. They're 60 years old, you know, in their life, but they're four years old in their heart. And they're still stuck on the same thing. And I guarantee you, it's easier to see it in somebody else's life than in your own life. But for every person that you know that is 60 years old on their birth certificate, five years old in their maturity, that's a plank that's pointing to the mirror that you should look at as well, right? This is the idea that the humans are fickle, that, that we are foolish, and we oftentimes don't know that we're foolish. And we, we cry about the suffering, and we're upset like that, that the things in life that we um, want to see changed in us, and we wish were different in our life, like we wish that they would change. You know, we cry about it. But your friends would tell you, like, when you see your friends, right, like, just because you want something to change doesn't mean you're ready to change, right? So that's, that's the idea of, of, the, of the sand and, and the rock, is that um, people want change, but they don't want to change. And you know that. You, you have a 40-year-old in your life, and they keep doing the same thing. And you're like, that's foolishness. You're hurting your wife. You're hurting your future. You're hurting the testimony of God. And, and you have tears in your eyes, but you've got pride in your heart. And you've sown your bed. And the Lord is offering you mercy. And you could turn at any moment, but you don't want to turn. You don't want the consequence, but you also don't want to change. How many times has an alcoholic been uh, hung over at two in the morning? What do they say every time? I'll never do this again. What are they doing the next night? This is the nature of foolishness. It knows better, it has better options, but it chooses foolishness. And I sped through the, through the point, but I don't want to miss it. Like, the secondary foolish thing is to look at the logs in other people's eyes and then not look in the mirror. I want to challenge you. If you really want wisdom, go look at the stars. And step two, go ask three people about the log in your eye, because they know. They know about the vomit you keep going back to, and we all have it. And if you really want to know, I guarantee you, you ask three people, they'll give it to you. They'll tell you what it is. They'll tell you the foolishness in your life, and you don't want to hear it, but they'll tell you. And if you have three people and they're all saying the same thing, we probably should listen. And so this is what wisdom is. This is what Proverbs is. It's the old person telling you it's not worth it. It is not worth it. He's better than that. He's bigger than that. He's stronger than that. He's mightier than that. And he can bring you salvation in your life, abundant and eternal life, rather than you would turn to your own vomit. And so the Proverbs, they're meant to be read over and over again. I want to show you something cool about the Proverbs. Everybody look at the, oh, you don't have the screen. Uh, take a look at Proverbs 14.31. Proverbs are written and psalms in something called parallelism. Reading, uh, reading scripture tip number eight. I missed a few of them, I guess. Uh, reading poetry in parallelism. Parallelism means there's two lines that are put next to each other. And what happens when you look at something in two different angles, you get a more three-dimensional understanding of it, don't you? Like when you look at something from the north side and the south side, you get a better understanding of the three-dimensional aspect of this. So the idea of parallelism in the psalms is that there's two repeated themes, either in comparison or contrast, and it's teaching you um, uh, dictionaries in what this word actually means. Because when you say it twice in context, then what happens is that you put them next to each other, and then logically you can deduce a third idea. I took a class called, in logic, called logic in school one time, and you can actually take A plus A. If A equals B and B equals C, you can also tell what? A equals C. So that's the idea, is that two lines will be put next to each other. So when we read these things slowly and thoroughly and out loud, uh, so, uh, Proverbs 14.31 says this, Whoever oppresses the poor 
shows contempt for their maker. You're going to read in the, in the Proverbs that all the Proverbs pretty much fit into one of these four categories, and they actually line up with, with this structure um, of wisdom in the universe. But it says this, that, that loving, loving people is never separate from loving God, and loving God is never separate from loving people. You see that theme is right there, right? So Proverbs 14.31 says, Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Put those two parallels together and look at the opposites. Oppress and kind are opposites. And then the similarities are maker and God. There is no word that is unbudgeted in these scriptures. They're inerrant and they have power and authority to change. And they've come to give us a rock to stand on. And so what would stand up to me in Monday morning if I read this is that the parallel is God is put beneath the maker. And so the deduction becomes that God is what? A and C is A equals C. God is the maker. So to me, the position of this passage is not just to tell you that just that loving God is connected to loving people, but that loving God is connected to people because God is the maker of all people. There's two different ways that you could look at this thing. You're loving people because God told you to, and you ought to, and it's the good thing to do. And if you tie your shoes and brush your teeth, you'll end up in a good spot. But it'd be quite different if you knew that the God you serve and the God you feared fashioned that person with their bare hands. You'd look at it differently, wouldn't you? So there's wisdom in digging into these scriptures and putting the passages next to each other. And then there's themes. And you're looking for the three-dimensional aspect of this wisdom. The, the sort of baseline kind of shallow wisdom is just love people. Just love people, take care of it. But the deeper invitation here, if we read it the second time, is love them because I made them. Love them because I look like them. Love them because I have a purpose for their life. And I promise you, if you read that passage twice, you'd end up loving people differently than if you just read it once. So the parallelism gives us a three-dimensional understanding of what, uh, what wisdom looks like. If, wis if Proverbs is a, is a bright, optimistic 20-year-old headed off to college, Ecclesiastes is an old, um, uh, jaded, um, sad old man, you know, hermit that lives by the sea. And both of them are, are wise in their own respect for their age. Because the hermit has seen a lot of ups and downs and knows that doing good things does not always turn out. And that life is, is like a vapor. Uh, life is like a mist. It doesn't mean it doesn't have meaning. It just means that the meaning gets contorted sometimes. And sometimes good things happen to bad people and bad, bad things happen to good people. Sometimes. I mean, most of the time it works out. But sometimes you raise your, your kids in the way they should go and then they just don't like you. And that happens. And so this guy is jaded enough to know that not everything works out in the end. And he has this word for us this morning. And it's hevel. Hevel. It means smoke. It means vapor. And Hevel basically happens because of three things. Number one, time. It never stops moving. Number two, death. It takes all of us. Rich, poor, smart, and, and, and dumb. And number three, um, chaos. Is that things will happen on their own metronome. And sometimes Job things happen to people like Job. And so, so he tells us that ultimately, this, is, this life is Hevel. We're a mist. And wisdom comes from knowing we're small and that God is big and that he ultimately is the one that holds the scales of justice in his hand. And so trying to, trying to store up wealth ahead of fearing God is foolishness. It's, it's hevel, it's meaningless. Because at the end of the day, it's all sandcastles. And you'll work your butt off 80 hours a week and, and get inheritance and then hand it down to your kids and they'll squander it. It's meaningless. Or um, you'll live your life up and you know, go eat at um, all the seafood restaurants in Key West and have a great time and go bottom out all the lobster in the sea and you'll still come home empty because it's, it's meaningless. It's meaningless without him. And so at the end of the day, he tells you um, to fear God. It's the same exact conclusion is that the, the, the young, bright-eyed uh, lady wisdom that's charging ahead in optimism and the kind of jaded old guy of Ecclesiastes tells you both of these paths, both good and bad, fortune and misfortune, will both lead you to the same place. It's only him. It's fearing God and keeping the commands. And so this is what we would think about on Thanksgiving. If you've got glasses clanking at your table, you've got friends around you, you've got a glass of tea in the morning, you have the ability to laugh and cry today, you're wise and you're blessed. Because the blessing of this life is not a bigger car. It's a long walk with a good friend. And if that's not big enough for you, then God's not big enough for you because that's what this is about. It's about clanking glasses and thankfulness. This is what it's all about. It's a, it's, it's a vision for making uh, the world hopefully a better place for our kids, it's trusting God day by day, 
We are meek. We are dust. We have his breath in us. And if his breath wasn't in us, we'd be gone. So what is wisdom? Spend time. Call your parents. Share the gospel. Cry when it's time to cry. Laugh when it's time to laugh. And that needs to be enough. And the rest of it is is extra. That's what wisdom looks like. Fear Fear God. Keep his commandments. Finally, Song of Songs which is a racy love poetry, and I'm not going to read any of it in here today because, girl, I'm a Christian. I wouldn't be doing that on Sunday. But it's intense. So intense, as a matter of fact, the church had problems reading it because everybody knows that sex and church don't go together. And so um, we, uh, we bottled it up and made it into a, a, a flowery, allegorical theology about the coming of Christ, which it is. And for a long time, the church just read it as, you know, Jesus and his bride. But there's a lot of stuff in there that don't have nothing to do with Jesus. Come on now. Has to do with the hanky-panky. And it's about a, a lover and, and a farmer, like a gardener, you know? Like Adam was a gardener for the creation. He was a gardener for his wife. And that's what image-bearing is. And it's seeking and finding. And just as much love as you have, you always continue to seek. You never can't stop pursuing your spouse, right? can't stop pursuing. I don't care if you've been married for 50 years. you still got to get up and pursue. It's never done. And that's what life is like, right? That's what friendship is like, a long walk with a good friend. So really, it's both. It's that sex is teaching us about God, and God is teaching us about intimacy. And this place is headed towards intimacy. This place is not headed towards a bigger brand or a bigger car. It's headed towards friendship, deep friendship. It's headed towards intimacy. Naked and unashamed, we came and naked and unashamed will return. Uninterrupted intimacy is the vision of heaven. If that's not good enough for you, heaven's not good enough. This is where we're headed. Community. This is what it is. The whole thing is about friendship. People go off and get, get college degrees because they want to beat their brother and they want to get attention from their dad. Not because they're a rocket scientist, because they want to be loved. That's why people want more likes and more followers. That's why we're here. That's why we're in this church today. We want to be known and loved. And that's where we're headed. And he knows that because he created us. And that's where wisdom is taking us. It's a long walk with a good friend. And if you have that, you're blessed. And so what would all this come to if it were to land on us in one single thought? I want to ask you a question today. And it'll be on the screen. It's our intentional question. The life that you live for 20 and 30 years or 40 years, it's not on the screen, (laughs) is what Kim's telling me. Uh, The life that you've lived for 30 and 40 years, the car that won't start right now, that washing machine, that crazy aunt that you're just about to listen to forever. She's just, she's just never, is never going to learn. She's not, she's not going to change. Is the food and the health problems and the stress and the budgets and the money, is it a blessing or is it a curse? That will tell you everything about if you have wisdom or not. Is this life a generous gift or a cruel game? Because you'll turn on 6 o'clock news or get on your phone, and there's plenty of ammunition to build a case that this is a cruel game. That there's massive pain in this world. Where's God in that? That there's foolishness in this world. Where's God in that? That we keep returning to our own vomit, and, and God can't be found, it seems. There's an option to, to believe that. There's plenty of reality out here to create that narrative. I mean, we're just happy because we're rich. We're like Job, you know? We're happy because we have stuff. But really, if we didn't have the stuff, God wouldn't exist, and we wouldn't actually have anything to celebrate or believe in God. Or is life a gift? Is there more than enough? Is God a generous host who has hosted a generous party for us, who has given us many long walks on the beach and many friends to call on? and many adventures to have, and much wisdom to rule and reign with. Is life a gift, or is it a game? Is life made of winners and losers, or the wise and the foolish? Is it, is it the winners, the shiny, bright people that did it right and got their college degrees, and then everybody else? Or is it people that trusted God and walked out wisdom to its furthest extent to see what it had to offer, whether it's blessing or curses? If God is enough, then there's nothing that we have in need and we're free. But if God is, is not enough, then we need to fear everything. And everything needs to become our master. 
and everything needs to be scared of. And your actions are telling you what you believe. You know that, right? It's like it's not what we think we believe. It's what we actually believe. And so all the anxiety and all of the tension and all of the stress and the worry, Jesus says, didn't you know that I like made the lilies of the field and I called out the birds? Don't you know that I'm big and you're small? All fear starts, all fear uh, that's not fear of the Lord starts from not fearing the Lord. If you don't fear the Lord, you have to fear everything else. And so if you have fear in you, it's because you don't believe him. And it's because we don't believe him. And because we believe that money goes before work and work goes before people and work and, and people goes before God. So we have to get the money to get the, get the purpose, to show the people that we're awesome and we create God in our image. That's the reverse, the reverse uh, uh, sequence of what, of what wisdom looks like. And so is, God a generous, is life a generous gift or a cruel game? This is what God has to say about it, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. What does the cross really mean? What is God doing that he has a son that looks like him and acts like him, and he sends him to the world to die? What is God doing? What is at the heart of a God that is not waiting on us to climb ladders to get to him that has actually come down to see us, other than generosity, other than wanting to give gifts? God so loved the world that he had his most precious thing and he gave it to us that we might have it for free. Is this world about scarcity or about generosity? This world is a generous gift in Jesus. If it wasn't for Jesus, the six o'clock news would tell us a different testimony. But the eyewitnesses in the historical account says that he was was dead for three days, but then he resurrected. And he has come to give, not take. He has come to give wisdom, not take. He has come to give life, not take. He has come to give community, not take. He has come to give skill and, and, and... and bounty and provision and protection not take. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that we would have much to be thankful for in thanksgiving. That he came to give his only son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This life is a gift. It's a vapor, but it's a gift. And it's a long walk with a good friend. And if you have a good friend, you are rich. If you have a friend in Jesus, you are rich. And if you have nothing else but Jesus, you are rich. And if you fear God, you have nothing else to fear but him. You are small and he is big. And he is inviting you into wisdom through that pathway and that pathway alone. And so I want to encourage you today, um, if you've never trusted Jesus um, for eternal life, the Bible says that um, the problem with this world is politic, is not politics. The problem with this world is evil in human hearts. And we never stop inventing ways to hurt our neighbor even though we're designed to love our neighbor. And we continue, we continue this arrogance and ignorance towards one another. And it's never going to get fixed other than him. And so he came to die to fulfill uh, the law in us and for us. He's come to change us and he's come to atone for us. And so the wisest thing you can do today before you can do any of this other stuff, if you want anything for your kids and anything for your life and anything to offer this world, then the first step to wisdom is trusting Jesus for salvation. It's trusting that his death is enough and that he has come to to cancel our sin, to cover our sin, to change us and to fill us with his life. And so there is no wisdom apart from Jesus. There is no wisdom apart from the salvation of Jesus. And so that's the first call. And if you desire to become wise and you desire to not be like your parents, 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 then trust Jesus. And trust Jesus with your whole life. He came to give his life and not to take yours. To give you life. And secondly, um, if you are following Jesus, then go out and look at the stars and ask three friends what the vomit you keep returning to is. And whatever it is that you have that's ugly, put it before Jesus and he can give you something better. And he is aligning you towards the wisdom of the world from the beginning of time. This place is not created for money. It's created for intimacy. It's created that we would love God with all of our heart. And because he's loved us, that we would love neighbor with everything that we have. And out of loving neighbor, you will find your purpose. You will find your passion that is not about building your kingdom. It's about building his. You can have all of wisdom or none of it. It's not a a buffet table of picking out different parts of wisdom. It It is seeking wisdom because of his kingdom. It's so that I can rule on your behalf that I would have wisdom to know the difference between good and evil for your people that are many. Loving God before people, loving people before work, loving loving and and pursuing work before money. I want you to stand and uh, why don't we just... um, Closing prayer this morning, and uh, I'm going to invite Timothy, Timothy to lead worship. It's going to be a great week.
And um, I really sense that if you were even called or maybe inspired to read a little more scripture this week and maybe even start in the Psalms or Proverbs, I know that um, you, uh, you will not leave empty-handed. Jesus never let anyone, left anyone poor, and he doesn't intend to start now. And so in whatever you have in your life, if you put it before him, he will touch it, and he can bless it. What the enemy has turned for evil, he will turn for good in your life. And he is turning good in our lives. I'm going to invite the prayer team to come over, and we've been having a Tuesday night prayer meetings where we've been growing in our ability to hear from God and become small in his hands and lay hands on one another as brothers and sisters, not having all the answers, but having the authority of Jesus because of the fear of God. And I want to invite anybody down here that wants to take their next step in Jesus, whether it be the first step or the 88th step, for anybody in here that's hurting, that needs a big God to touch them, Anyone in here that needs wisdom, that needs a wise God to counsel them, anyone in here that needs um, breakthrough, that needs a strong God to reach them, um, I want to invite you to come forward and, and we'll do prayer and ministry. That's what this time will be about. So let's give it our all. Um, let's be dust. And let's sing the song we're supposed to sing. We're not God, He is. And forgive us, Lord, whenever we tried to get out of our lane and pretend like we were. We find peace, we find rest, and knowing that we're yours in fearing the Lord and walking uh, with you, as, with him as a friend. And so Jesus, uh, thank you, God, for just uh, the laughter in this room, the tears, um, the beautiful times that we'll spend with family. And we pray that you would make us and queens that reflect your image, that bring your kingdom. There are many that are hurting. There are many that are lonely. And Lord God, that you would just touch us and give us hope this morning. Restore broken bones, Lord Jesus. Breathe hope into hopelessness, Lord Jesus. Return, return wisdom for folly. We would just come quickly, come early, come often. And so we thank you, Lord, that you, you've come to to call us home, to be a tree planted by that water, to meditate on your law day and night, to be fruitful in every season, and that fruit would heal the nations. We thank you for being our coming king. We thank you for being the covenant law in our heart, Lord Jesus. And so for all the business that you want to take care of, Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done in our hearts as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, we said. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.